Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop to the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today are my partners in futility. First up, writer for the King's Herald and a podcast with himself, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? Will, Jerry, I'm doing pretty good. Excited to talk about basketball uh, on the podcast today. Last but not least, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst, the general manager of a WNBA champion, an Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, and the true pride of French Lake himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, happy Monday. Happy Monday. Great to visit with you guys. And uh, just like Tony, I just love talking basketball. May not understand it very well, but I love talking about it. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, that's all of us, I think. Yeah. So let's, uh, we, got, we got a little bit to talk about here since our, uh, since our last go around. We've, uh, we've seen the trade deadline come and pass. We've, uh, we've seen uh, the Kings go on a little bit of a, a win streak and then do what the Kings do best and, and flip right around and go on a little bit of a losing streak. So uh, let's, uh, let's start first here with um, what the Kings did at the trade deadline. It was, um, I, I'll get your opinion first. Was this about what you expected, guys, or did you expect a little bit more? And do you think um, at the end of the day that the Kings were successful in their, uh, their trade deadline deals that they did make? Jerry, what do you think about that? Well, I, I probably am like a, a, a lot of fans and just uh, reading a lot of different thoughts uh, on the Kings Herald over the last few days. And, you know, and I was saying I was hoping for more. You know, you were hoping for that, that big trade to where you, you traded, uh, you know, somebody with a bigger contract and got something back you needed, whether picks and or assets. But having said that, and I mean, and what you can't know, and I certainly don't know, uh, is what was available to do. And I mean, I think there's a point where, in my opinion, you got to uh, trust the judgment of Monty McNair at this point. Uh, it, it, there wasn't a deal there that he felt was uh, fair. So, so there's no reason to do it just to, do something and and the deals that he did make I, I, I certainly like two guys a lot I, I like Wright and uh, Davis both for sure and and I think he got real you know don't want to sound just like him but value <laughs> I mean I think yeah. I, th I think there's I think there is a value there the the bench is better now than it was which isn't a great hard to do <laughs> when you had a terrible bench, <laughs> but, but it's also true. It is better. And, uh, but you know, the, the real positive I, I take away from the trade and I get, you know, you and Tony's thoughts, I think what it does uh, in my mind and I, and I kind of thought maybe that's the way it worked is with Wright and Davis both. Uh, if they're as good as, you know, that Monty hoped they would be. And, and certainly I think there's reason to believe that they're pretty darn good before they got here that that would really give you an opportunity very comfortably to trade Buddy Hield, and, and, and I think uh, really what you've seen so far with those two guys, uh, whether, whether you say they're either one of them are as good as Buddy or slightly better, slightly, it really makes no difference. But the clear thing is they can play the position and play it pretty well. And so, so you know, I think you're finding that out. So I, I think that's a real positive there that, you know, going into the summer 
uh, you definitely uh, do have other things that can be done. Tony, was there anything that uh, either disappointed you or impressed you the most out of this uh, trade deadline? It, it was, uh, it, I mean, I'll just um, speak to my own, to what I've said on this podcast before. I thought the Kings were going to do more. And I thought we were going to have Monty McNair uh, make a decision one way or the other, right? I, we've been talking about this since the offseason. Like, you know, what direction do the Kings want to go in? Will Monty McNair let us know? And, and I've said many times, I think we'll know more by the deadline. Turns out the deadline came and went, and we know just as little as we did before because they didn't really pick um, a direction. In my mind, anyways, they didn't really pick a direction. They didn't go out and acquire this, this win-now big-time player, and they didn't go out and trade off one of their um, veteran or young veterans like Harrison Barnes or Buddy Heald. They really just sort of stayed in the middle, which is not what I would have uh, liked to see um, necessarily. But that being said, what McNair did do uh, it certainly seems like he won on the trades that he made and you can say the impact was minimal or, or you know, he brought in role players instead of, you know, big time players, but uh, it's, I mean, the, the Delon Wright move, everyone sort of liked, and that's, that's a win trade for the Kings and Terrence Davis, you saw what he did um, against the Bucks. He almost brought them back into that game. And that certainly seems like a, a win. So Monty McNair continues, continues to sort of pile up these mini wins in the, in the moves he does make, but we still haven't, or at least, you know, I'll speak for myself. I still haven't seen him do anything to tell us exactly what direction he wants this franchise to go in moving forward. And, and he has no um, need to tell us that, I guess. I mean, he can keep things as close to the vest as he wants to. Um, but for someone who talks about the Kings on a podcast or writes about the Kings uh, for a website, it would certainly be beneficial for me to have a better idea, a better sense of what his overall plan is. But I guess we're just going to have to wait a little bit longer. So just running through those deals real quick, um, we had uh, Fiondu Cabangeli, who uh, the Kings traded for, um, for, for, for minor pieces, for basically what was cash. And Cabangeli was later waived. Um, the Kings made room for uh, Terrence Davis from the Raptors, who was traded for a future second-round pick. Um, they, they dropped uh, Jabari Parker. They, um, they, they got Mo Harkless and um, Chris Silva in a deal for Nemanja Bielitsa going to the Heat. Um, they traded Corey Joseph um, to the Pistons for Delon Wright. And then just recently, just the other day, they dropped Daqu- Daquan Jeffries. Um, Jerry, uh, it surprised me about uh, Daquan Jeffries, and I wanted to get your opinion on that one as well, just as we kind of fly through this quickly. Um, was that something you would have done? Is that, is that, is that something that, that was quizzical to you or did, did it make sense that they let go of Jeffries to, to bring in somebody, a big guy? And uh, what purpose do you think there was in, in dropping Daquan this early into his two-year contract that he had? Yeah, very, uh, very interesting. And, and uh, I, strictly on a talent basis, no, that's not something I would have done at all. Uh, because he's more talented than some guys that are still on the roster, in my opinion. Uh, now, having said that, I, I what you don't know uh, is Luke Walton's feelings, Monty's feelings about the chemistry aspect. Uh, was Jeffries happy with his role? Uh, how, you know, as opposed to somebody else that's probably not going to play either. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a reality once you've got the three guys that the Kings got, Jeffrey's role went from very little of a role to no role. Now, I, I think he looks like an NBA player, but it, but it's probably an NBA roster guy. And they acquired certainly two NBA players and maybe a roster guy. Uh, sure. So 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 I think that to me it 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 would be hard to justify 
on talent, but sometimes, uh, you know, it, it isn't about talent. It, you know, really when you're looking at the bottom of your roster and uh, maybe this would give uh, the Kings at some point a chance to play Woodward a little more than they would have otherwise, uh, whether, whether you think uh, James is ever going to be a player or not, that's certainly debatable both ways. Uh, but I mean, I thought, but I did think Jeffries from a town standpoint is better than either one of those guys from what I've seen, but you know, I, I, I go back a little bit and I've said this before, sometimes it, it is a case. It's like the old Bill Russell the statement told me about the red hour back every year. He'd said uh, middle of the year, he'd always said, I'm going to trade our asshole for somebody else's asshole because, uh, because, uh, you know, their asshole will be okay with the limited role coming in for a half year on a good team. And our asshole will probably get a bigger role going to the other team for a half year. And, and I mean, it's sometimes it really just about simple as that. The, the Kings, uh, in the meantime, they went ahead and picked up uh, Damian Jones, um, who last played for the Lakers. He's uh, 6'11", 245, kind of a big man that's uh, fairly springy. Uh, Tony, was there anything about Damian Jones that you've seen in the last few days that you kind of go, oh, okay, I can see why they would drop somebody for him? Or do you have any sort of sense of what they're doing in that regard? Well, I think um, they've made it pretty clear that they need a they needed a backup center, especially if they were going to push for a, a 10 spot. I mean, uh, Chemezi Metu has been pretty good, but him along with Rashawn Holmes, along with Harrison Barnes, anybody they've played in that five spot is undersized in a lot of matchups. We saw it against uh, Jacob Pertle. We saw it against um, uh, Clint Capella. We saw it against Brooke Lopez. They don't have a... a big center, a guy like Alex Len, who I know we've mentioned many times would have slid in perfectly in that little role. So Damian Jones, you know, he's not as big as Alex Len, but he's bigger than Metu. He's bigger than Rashawn Holmes. Can he come in here and play some spot minutes and, and help on some of those bigger centers around the league? Maybe. And he, the, the thing that's good about him is that he has been playing this season. It's not as if they just brought somebody, you know, straight off the free agency list. Um, Jones has been uh, with the Suns for a little while. He played with the Lakers for a little while. Um, I know I was looking at his Lakers numbers a couple of days ago, and uh, he played in limited minutes, but he did play over 100 total minutes. And you know, he only missed one shot. So he's, he's not a guy that takes bad shots. He went 16 for 17. He shot 94% in like 114 minutes or something like that. Um, is he going to, you know, shoot 94% all the time? No. But he doesn't take bad shots. He's a big body. You can play center. And the Kings are giving him a shot uh, as a 10-day guy. I, I have no problem with that. I wouldn't have cut Jeffries. Like Jerry said, I think there's, if you're going talent, there's probably less talented players you could have cut. But I have no issue with them giving someone like uh, James, uh, Jones a shot here. You know, it's, it's interesting to me because the Kings traded in the, uh, as part of their deal for Nemanja Bielitsa. They got a guy back like a Chris Silva who we have people kind of going, oh, you know, he's kind of under the radar. He's, he's, he's a good player that the Kings got value off of. And, and then to get rid of a guy that you could use in, in a Daquan Jeffries for a 10 seed run, if you played him and then bring in a guy that will take minutes from a guy like Chris Silva, who was supposed to be an asset in this deal with Nemanja Bialica, it kind of, it kind of made me blink a little bit because now we're supposed to find time for both Silva and this 10 day for Jones, who, obviously could just be somebody who comes in for four or five minutes at the end of one game in this 10 days and see what you got in practice in the meantime. But it, it, it seems like the Kings have gone from purposefully um, tanking their bench. You know, they had a very thin bench at the beginning of the year and it almost seemed like we had the general manager 
um, Monty McNair almost winking at the fact that, yeah, we've got a really, really light bench. We're not, we're not really, this is the gap year type talk. And then when they got to the deadline, it was like, actually, we do need a bench all of a sudden because the 10th seed is in, is, is in contention here. And the Kings in the meantime have decided they don't know what the hell they're going to be doing because they've gone from, for the second time in a season, winning seven games in eight tries to now turning back into a, a three-game losing streak. Now, uh, some of these games, the Kings have looked mighty impressive in post-deadline. and some of these games, they've looked like pretty much the Kings of old. Is there anything, Jerry, in the last couple of weeks that you've seen, whether from this last win streak or the subsequent three games afterward, that kind of points to one direction or another where you can kind of point to and say, oh, I think this is where the Kings are headed? Or is this still chaos in Kingsland? Well, I, 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 it may prove to be chaos in Kingsland. I mean, I think there's a, a reason you could, you know, maybe blink a few times here. But, but I do think what, what, at least in my mind, what I think I'm seeing is they're certainly trying to make a run at the play-in, playoffs, whatever. You know, and, and I mean, because they clearly strengthened their bench. Uh, the bench is better than it was. So why would you do that if you didn't want to uh, improve, especially with things so tight and you see other teams, you know, like the Warriors look like they're falling off the deep end. And I mean, the Spurs really aren't as talented as the Kings. They just play better most of the time. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, and I, I think the other thing is we, we've seen them kind of become set with their starting unit. Uh, for the first time, which which is, uh, you know, overall has been been better at this unit than probably the group various lineups we've seen uh, earlier. So uh, I guess in a nutshell to me, it's saying it's pretty clear they're, they're trying to make the playoffs. And, and and so why else would you do what you're doing? Tony, do you think this was a matter of something that the Kings had planned all along that they they thought that they could be a 10 seed and that their bench was, though thin, good enough to make that run? Or does this maybe feel like a little bit of a course correction where they thought maybe we thought we were going to be a little worse and now we've got an opportunity to capitalize on this? Yeah, I think that comes back to the the uh, my lack of, of seeing the direction or knowing what Monty's thinking. It's a hard it's hard to say. I mean, it when you go the further back you go, the harder it is to uh, say they wanted the 10 seat all along. You know, you go back to the offseason and you go back to the decision to let bogey walk, the decision to not use your MLE the decision to only bring in guys like Hassan Whiteside and, and veteran minimum and Glenn Robinson, these unguaranteed contract vet min players, all those off season signs point you towards a team that is, you know, certainly not going for it. Maybe they get it, but not going for it. And then, like you said, will halfway through the year, um, the standing shake out how they shake out. And now that the deadline is over and this is the roster that they have, um, I don't think tanking is on the table anymore. Like, I just think they're too good. Yeah. Um, and because they kept everybody and uh, I'll even take it a step further. Um, and this, this may be a, a dumb quote uh, in a couple of weeks from now, but I think they will make the 10 seed. Like I look at the other teams that they're contending with. I look at their schedules. I look at the Kings light schedule. I look at, you know, Steph Curry's injury. They're playing terrible. Um, the Spurs. I don't, I mean, pop is great, but the upside of that roster is not what the upside of the Kings roster is. The Pelicans, I don't know what to make of them either. They're sort of in a, a similar boat with the Kings where they have a lot of young talent with very high upside, but inconsistency, you know, who knows which, which direction they're going. But if I look at what all the teams have, um, 
I think the Kings have just as good of a shot as any of them. And if I had to predict which one makes it, I do think the Kings sort of sneak in. So, uh, and maybe, maybe that'll sound silly if this losing streak continues, but I do think some of the losses, even in this three game losing streak, you can sort of rationalize, like you don't expect them to beat the Bucks, even without Giannis. The Bucks are just a, they're a really good team that knows how to play together. The Lakers loss is the one that really stings. And then can you beat the Spurs twice in a row? I don't I mean, I couldn't beat Popovich twice in a row. So is that surprising that they won the next game? To me, it isn't. So that's sort of where I'm at with, with where the Kings are headed right now. Um, I think they're going for the 10 seed and I kind of think they're going to make it. Right now, the Kings are owners, owners of the, uh, the 12th seed. They're a uh, half game back of the Pelicans, who are 11. Um, the Warriors are sitting in that 10th spot, just a game ahead of, of the Kings. Um, and then you've got the Spurs, uh, two and a half games ahead of them for the ninth seed. So I think the Kings are really going to have to, if they're going to make it, it will be the 10th seed or bust. I think there's going to be, uh, they're going to have to fit a very, very tight needle with, you know, 22, 23 games left. Uh, and they're going to have to find a way to overcome the Pelicans who ha- obviously have a more talented team in terms of just raw talent and a better coach and, and a team like the Warriors who have um, Steph Curry, if he's healthy, I, I will never, absolutely ever, never bet against Steph Curry and Steve Kerr. I know there's a lot of people in Warriors land that are starting to whisper about maybe it's time Steve Kerr, you know, take, take a job somewhere else or go, go packing. But he's he's not ever. I'm never betting against Steph Curry if he's healthy. If they if he's not, if they find that this is something that the that that it's going to be a little bit more prolonged, or he's going to have to sit more games as the time goes on, then I think the Kings have a, a shooter's chance at it. It's just uh, your shooter is is De'Aaron Fox, and um, the Kings go as he goes. Jerry, um, what is something that you've seen from Fox over the last couple of weeks uh, in terms of the team? I, I know you and I talked about it off off air a little bit that the Kings go as Fox goes. That if he, if the Kings are going to make this play in, if the Kings are going to, you know, hope for a shot at, at making the playoffs, um, it's got to be Fox or nothing, right? It really does. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's really not a lot different. I mean, there's, there's differences, of course, but I mean, uh, the, the Warriors to make it, it's got to be Steph Curry, and, you know, because they're not. I don't care if they people think Draymond Green's a Hall of Famer. They can if they want to, but he's not. And uh, so, so if if, if Curry's uh, playing like only he can, they 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 can be a tough tough uh, uh, cover. But uh, yeah, I mean, with Fox at his best, the Kings are can be a be a tough uh, tough team to cover because he can really score and break people down. You know, he has off games now and then, but. But I think, yeah, you look at uh, Memphis. So what will they do if John Morant is not at his best? Well, they'll lose. Uh, you know, that's 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 kind of how that works. And, and I think with the Pelicans, uh, you know, with Zion and, and Ingram and Zion in particular, I mean, he's the guy that drives that train. And uh, and and really, I, I the thing I think they're more talented than the Kings, but I, I'm just not sure they've been basically an unhealthy team. Seem like you can't count on. They're two main guys playing five games in a row. And uh, so I think that that's their problem for whatever reason. Uh, But getting back to Fox, I think, you know, the fact that Halliburton was moved into the starting lineup with Fox uh, really has helped Aaron. I think we talked about this several months ago. We thought uh, we thought that it would be a good move, uh, that that would be a terrific guard line. And I think overall it's proven to be a, a really potentially uh, terrific guard line. And, you know, I, I've kind of went on, on 
out on the limb with a couple of different media outlets. That the, I said, I think the potential for Fox and, and Halliburton will be that, that they'll be the best guard line in the Sacramento Kings history shortly. Uh, it's not going to take very long. They just, I think they're, you know, when you look at the best guard lines in Kings history, you, you're talking about Doug and Bibby. Uh, you're talking about uh, really Mitch and Spud, maybe uh, Reggie Theus and Mike Woodson. I mean, you know, so I'm not saying those others aren't good guard lines, but I, I think the potential for this one is significantly higher than those. And, and, uh, and of course, I'm so old. I remember all of the franchise great guard lines. And I always say it, it <laughs> It reminds me a little bit of, of the best guard line in overall Kings history, which was Nate Archibald at his best and, and Jimmy Walker. Now, uh, th these two guys aren't that good. I mean, as, as those two guys were, I tell you right now, uh, uh, can they can they be can they be? Yeah, I think they could be. But that's that's a real process. And then, as you know, I I, I just went further out somebody because somebody asked me well how about the best guard line in overall franchise history not just kings but when they were the royals and and i said well the best guard line in history probably will always be oscar robertson and whoever else plays guard uh <laughs> yeah. you know i mean <laughs> that's really the but hard to argue but but, <laughs> yeah. but but i mean it's 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 truly i mean the kings have a guard line i think you can really build around and you could see how they, with this guard line, with, you know, basically experience and a little more help, a little more depth, a little more talent, uh, whether through development or acquisition, this could be a 50-win type team. At least that's what I think. To Jerry's point, just because I was looking up um, which players were performing or underperforming during this three-game losing streak, and Fox has not played well uh, just in the last three games. He's shooting just 18% from three and 35% from the field. And um, so, you know what, Jerry, I mean, if De'Aaron Fox plays well, this team is going to compete every night. If he's shooting 35% from the field and 18% from three, they're going to struggle. And that's what's happened over the last three games. So hopefully Fox can turn it around. And he's, he's been consistent enough this season that I, I think, you know, he's much closer to the best version of his numbers this year than 35% and 18%, in my opinion. So I do think, you know, Fox will turn that around and then you'll see the Kings start to play better again like they have in the last, you know, eight or so games before the last three. Now, see, my biggest fear uh, b before the trade deadline and something that I feel like was answered fairly well was this lack of depth, depth in the bench and that if De'Aaron Fox goes down, the Kings are going to lose the next, you know, every single game minus one or two um, until De'Aaron Fox comes back and is, and is healthy. And I, and I think uh, seeing the way DeLon Wright has played, uh, seeing the way Terrence Davis has played a little bit, uh, I don't necessarily have that same fear right now that if Fox goes down or even if uh, a Halliburton goes down where we've seen Halliburton go down or not play and, uh, and, and then the Kings kind of lose their, their um, um, identity a little bit. I think that something that Monty McNair addressed fairly well in this trade deadline was that I can see Terrence Davis being in the starting lineup and the Kings finding a way to win those games or De'Aaron Fox going down and a Dillon Wright stepping in and him and Halliburton being able to lead a charge and grind out a couple of victories. Um, I, I, I still, I still am a little curious as to where we see the Kings um, headed in the next couple of weeks. If we feel like this next couple of weeks are, are going to be the, the make or break for the Kings. They, they have a semi-soft schedule. 
they uh i'm sorry i'm trying to pull it up right now and i'm and i'm missing out uh, so tonight they they play the uh, uh they play the the timberwolves they they go on later this week and play the pistons they have the utah jazz at the end of this week which is uh it will not be an easy game followed by uh, a crucial game against the pelicans and a back-to-back against washington and then phoenix is there um is there a line you guys think that the king should hit um, in which you can firmly jump in the camp that, yeah, regardless of whether they win a couple or lose a couple, they're going to end up making a big run here in the final couple of weeks. Uh, Jerry, at what point do you jump off the bandwagon completely, I guess is what I'm saying. How many wins or losses or how well do they have to play for you to either be permanently staked in or permanently on, on the tracks waiting for the train to pass? You know, that's, that's a great question. I, I think it's such a strange year. And the schedule is what it is, and teams are what I, I I don't think I would uh, almost say give up on the idea of being in the playoff hunt until the very last game of the year. I I mean I just think you've got a lot of uh, uh, quite honestly mediocre teams uh, with flaws uh, fighting for those last couple of spots, and and really it's going to be as much as. Who, you know, I mean, the Kings could be out of it and be in it, win three straight at the end and somebody lose three straight at the end. And, and we know all, both things are very possible. So I, I just don't think there's a clear cut thing there. I mean, I think you got to, you know, just like a bunch of fat guys fat fighting at the bar. Somebody will somebody will land a punch pretty soon. I just my butt's getting a little tired sitting here on the fence. I think I think that's the biggest thing is that I've been uh, I've always leaned one direction over another and the Kings have convinced me to start leaning like, okay, I'm good with them getting into the play in game. I'm good for them fighting for a playoff spot. But it seems like every time the Kings get you on their side, they're immediately elbowing you in the face to get you off. Well, hey, 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 well, here's here's the bottom line here. Your, your butt crack is right in the middle of that fence and it's going <laughs> to, and, and ain't nothing you can do about it. I'm telling you that's. <laughs> I'll, I'll be sitting there until, until five games left in the season and I'm yeah. so tired. Yeah. I, no, I, I, and I, tired. I understand. I understand. And, but I don't believe you're going to be able to. <laughs> Tony, Tony, is there anything that you see numbers wise or, or just from your eye test that tells you one way or another where the Kings are headed? I think they're they're going to be the ones that tell us um, what I like. If someone gets injured, then obviously they're out. Or if they decide that you know we're not going to go for this anymore, we rather go for draft position. Then they'll tell it. We'll see. You know, Woodard. We'll see. Maybe more Metu. We'll see them. You know, maybe not push guys to play. I think they'll be the ones that let us know. And until that happens, um, like Jerry said, it's so close. And none of those teams are good enough to, to pull away, in my opinion. And something Jerry said earlier, too, that I hadn't really considered, it really comes down to, you know, the best player for each of those teams. Even if you go up to the Spurs, like DeRozan has, met, has had an awesome year. He's going to carry them or not carry them. And Zion's going to carry the Pelicans or not carry them. And Fox is going to carry the Kings or not carry them. And it's going to be whichever one of those players best play. Because the, the role guys are, you know, it's pretty similar for most of those rosters. And if, if – uh, it depends, I guess, how much you believe in Fox versus some of those other guys. And, and I do, I, I believe in what Fox has done this year. So I, I think they'll stay in it unless they take themselves out of it. Jerry, is there anything that you'd point to, to that could help um, balance the ship a little bit? It seems like the Kings are a, a, an incredibly streaky team. And maybe that does, that does kind of end up being because they're hitched to Darren Fox, who seems to be a fairly streaky player this season in terms of his production. Is there, is there one thing as a coach or a general manager you would speak either to Fox or the team about to help or address 
to help uh, even this out a little bit where it's a little bit more predictable? Yeah, you know, the, the one thing, if, if certainly if Luke wanted my opinion or money with the current team as it is, uh, you know, I think they're playing the right guys. I think their bench is stronger and they're, they're, they'll, they'll uh, get that adjusted as we go here. But I, I think a, a real flaw that at least I think I see is I wish they'd have more set plays. I mean, in certain situations, I mean, actual set plays where you're seeing a stagger double screen to get a guy the ball or, or this or that. I mean, it just seems like to me we're relying so much on just creating off the pick and roll or draw and kick and which every team does, but it does seem like that when you watch a, Rick Carlisle team or or Popovich team or Utah. I mean, they, they have some, some go-to plays. And, and, and I think that's, uh, I I can't say in my mind that we have that, or I've seen that consistently. And I, and I think that's always important down the stretch of games, you know, uh, when you're leaking a little gas or the other team, I mean, just uh, to get it to a particular guy, if possible, uh, you know, basically gives the guys confidence. Yeah, we can this, we can run these things and get and get a good shot, that sort of thing. So, so I I, I would like to see more of that, and I'd like to see we've seen uh, a little bit more of it, but more zone, more zone. When you can't guard him by man to man, and I I know this is a joke to folks, but the risk of playing zone is a lot less if you have proven you can't guard him man to man. But that's just a strange thought there. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not saying it'll solve the problem, but it can't hurt you. No. It really can't hurt you a bit. And then you when, might find out find out you can do it a little more. Yeah. When the Kings are uh, are are sporting the uh, worst uh, worst defensive rating in league history, I think you can pretty much throw anything against the wall and see a little bit of improvement. And I think you've said before that zone is something that you'd like to see more from the Kings because it, they've proven time and time again that on a man-to-man level, they're, uh, they're not so good at it. Yeah. And, and I mean, and I think just look around the league and, and a lot of the better teams are using it more. I'm not saying, you know, everybody's using a little bit and some of the, so if some of the better teams are using it, then well, duh, maybe a bad team could use it. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, and it might be make you even worse, but, but I mean, that's fine. But I, I like what, uh, you know, Luke occasionally is went to, uh, you know, kind of show press, you know, pick up three quarters when they're not really doing anything other than trying to make the team use clock. And I think that's great. And they ought to do that a lot. There's no downside. You know, if you can make a team make another pass or two, because teams do it to the Kings too, uh, and you get in your offense with 14 seconds as opposed to 18 seconds, uh, makes perfect sense with a little risk. Don't you look like you're going to say something? I was going to ask Jerry and Will. You might have an uh, input on this too. Um, I think it was it was easier to understand why the Kings were such a bad defensive team under their old starting lineup because then you have two players in Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley who are clearly below average defenders at this point in their careers. And you look at this new starting lineup and you've basically replaced Bagley with Harrison Barnes, a a pretty steady defender. And now buddy is, is playing down at the three, which is going to give you issues, but buddy was an issue at the two as well. And I'm here wondering why this new lineup that had played so well for those eight or so games is now struggling on defense again. I have a theory, and I, and I don't know if it's um, correct or not, but this is what I want uh, Jerry's input on. Is, is this a matter of um, maybe teams adjusting to the fact that the Kings are undersized 
in the paint in the front court. Is this like, are we seeing some holes in maybe Rashawn Holmes's game, even though, you know, he's had a great year, but Holmes and Barnes is a pretty small, uh, both, you know, in strength and in height um, front court. Is it, is it uh, not that simple? Is it that simple? Is it not that at all? Or, or why has seemingly um, the issue gone? Like the bench has played pretty well over the last three games. And now we're seeing that starting unit that has played so well start to struggle. Uh, do you have any sense of, of why that, why that has happened with this lineup that had been playing so well before? Yeah, you know, I, I do. And I, I, I certainly, I, I'd understand if nobody agrees with me, that's happened in my life a lot, but uh, I, I think I would put most of the issues defensively at this stage. I, I put almost very little on homes as opposed to the guard line as good instincts as Halliburton has, which he has just marvelous instincts, but at times, and certainly same way with Fox, they can make great defensive plays, but I don't see the, uh, the, the straight up individual consistent effort. And I think quite honestly, I think they're both a little soft and you see too much penetration. You know, when, when the guards get broke down, uh, the big guys got no shot. You know, you see it all the time. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I got tired of watching Drew Holiday. Just thank you very much. I'll go take this one. And uh, and if not, I'll, I'll take that one. But uh, so so I think, it, you know, and, 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 and actually I'm kind of positive on that. I mean, because I think those guys are both capable of becoming a really good defensive guard line. They're not. And I think that if, if, <laughs> if they wanted my opinion, I'd say, guys, you're not. You're not right now, but there's no reason that that you shouldn't be. So, so stop it. <laughs> start start getting a little tougher and, and uh, quit trying to worry about getting a big steal here or there and stay in front of your damn man. Jerry, how much do you think that um, that that some of this with Fox has to deal with uh, how much of the offensive load he has to take? You see games where Harrison Barnes disappears or Buddy Hield is shooting pretty poorly, and when those games show up, De'Aaron Fox has to score thirty for the Kings to have a chance. How much do you think of that? Those defensive lapses come from a player going, Hey, I got to save some of this for the offensive end of the, the thing. If we're going to have a chance to win. I think it's a, a big part. I think your, your point is accurate. And, but I'll say this, I think it's, it's a, it's a product of, of Darren still an emerging product that this is the first year where truly it's been De'Aaron time. And he's had all this pressure offensively. Having said that, Okay, if you're going to be the man, you got to be the man both times. Uh, do you recall Russ Westbrook uh, kind of taking a pass on defense when he was in Oklahoma City and expected to score a lot too? Uh, the answer would be no. <laughs> and and I mean I and I think that, but but I, I'm I'm giving the guy a pass here. I mean I think he's made remarkable progress, and I think as he grows, you know, and gets more experienced, you realize, yeah, I can. I can handle the pressure of being a great offensive player and leading the team offensively, but, but I, I, I've got the stamina, the quickness, the speed, you know, to easily be a factor on defense just as well. And, uh, and, and he should, I mean, to me, it's, it's not, it, it's not really a long-term cop out that should apply. Sure. So this is a, this is a one year uh, pass that he gets then because this is his uh, first year. Yeah. I, I think it's the first year of him being the, the guy, the man, you know, and I, I don't care if people say, well, he's, yeah, but geez, he's young and he's got a lot of pressure on him and he's handled it overall extremely well, but, uh, and, and he probably does really doesn't 
totally understand just how valuable he is on both sides of the ball uh, towards winning. And, and again, I think uh, uh, Drew Holiday is another great example of what we're talking about. Uh, I can recall Drew as a young player and, and uh, you know, quite a lot, but today, you know, he's pretty damn good both sides of the ball all the time. And that's why he's as valuable as he is. I, I want to get into something a little bit on the side here, only because Tony mentioned this and it, and it drew my, it drew my attention back to something that's uh, slightly off the court here. Um, and Jerry, I wonder your opinion on this only because I found it kind of weird. Um, it was reported that Marvin Bagley is not currently with the team, even though he's out with a broken hand. Is, was that something that made you twitch? Is that something that, that caught your attention at all that, you know, they said, Oh, there's a plan in place and he's doing everything he needs to do but he's not currently with the team. Did that draw your, your eye at all when, when you heard that? I was, I was full, full twitch. I was in full twitch mode. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, of course, I'm old school, and I know this happens to, with a lot of teams uh, nowadays that just wouldn't have happened years ago. You know, you're expected, you're part of the team, you're expected to be with the team while you're rehabbing. And I'm not saying it's necessary. I mean, a bone will heal. At the same rate at home as it will, it will with the team. But, but as a, you know, honestly, a coach or front office, I'd expect him. He's part of the team to be part of the team all the time, if possible. I, and I think that's, uh, you know, uh, but it's hard to criticize since probably 80% of the teams allow that now. You know, sure. I mean, I criticize it because I don't think 80% should allow it, but, uh, sure. but that's just, that's just my take. Yeah, for me, it it always seemed like, especially with Marvin, that not necessarily that he was an outsider, but you hear these, um, you hear things that maybe he's a little bit removed from the current group, and and things like this always seem to like set off the X Files theme in my head, and I start getting conspiratorial and pulling out my red yarn and start you know drawing pictures to one another and pinning like why start is he, who liked what tweets? Yeah, who liked what <laughs> tweets? Why why is he not there? You know what what's what's going on here? Especially considering that he was a part of discussion at the trade deadline and Marvin Bagley's dad had tweeted out things with prayer hands, kind of like, Oh, maybe he is going somewhere and it gets quickly deleted. So I'm, I'm, I'm always curious about uh, if, if there is a riff with Marvin Bagley, not Marvin Bagley, the dad, but Marvin Bagley, the third um, and, and whether or not you think he's going to play again this year um, just based on, the injury, which is being evaluated in four weeks, giving him a few more weeks left in the season and whether or not, and, and whether or not you feel like Jerry personally, if this were happening to you as a general manager, if you felt like there was a riff with the team and either Monty sent him home to say, okay, just stay home for the rest of the season. Or if you feel like this is more of a, you know, a lackadaisical kind of, it's the pandemic, just go home. We're fine. Yeah, I, I really wouldn't have a very good read on that. I mean, you know, it could be both. It could be all of the above kind of thing. And, uh, you know, whether he's able to, when he does come back, if he comes back, will he play? I, I would suspect that he would, uh, regardless of uh, uh, maybe in a more limited role. Uh, certainly things can change, but, but I do think that, uh, you know, that Monty McNair, I mean, certainly in his case, as well as Luke's, uh, Luke's, but Monty in particular, at some point, is going to trade somebody. Sure. And, uh, you know, I mean, that's so – it's, it's a matter of trying to get whatever value you can get. And it does and, – and, you know, and, and I don't know. You know, Marvin may just absolutely love being part of the team and his teammate may be the most popular guy in the locker room. I don't know. I, I suspect that's not the case, uh, that, uh, that 
you know, maybe a separation is, is really what's needed for his development, to be honest. I mean, I've always said probably 90% of the players that come that are drafted end up need to be traded for their own good, as well as the teams. I mean, there's not that many, you know, uh, guys that, uh, you know, can come in and stay with the same franchise because they're terrific and they fit and blah, blah, blah. And they go through different coaches and they still fit that sort of thing. And so, uh, uh, you know, it, it's just a, it's just a shame, but it, in truth, we all know it hasn't worked out the way you wanted it to and hoped that it would. And, and it has really nothing to do in my mind anymore with Luka Doncic. Uh, sure. he, he's who he is. And, uh, but so you're, you're just, uh, really hoping, hoping to either get value for the player or the player establishes more value to the team. Tony, say, uh, say there is no conspiracy. Say he's just uh, at home wrestling with his dad, getting ready to come back, uh, ready to, to cheer on his team in the playoffs. He gets back with a couple of weeks left in the season. Is there any chance he starts? I would hope he doesn't start just because this, I feel like this lineup, I mean, that ship has sailed for me. And I think you know, I might even say the ship has sailed for him starting going into next year as well, because Harrison Barnes, as he gets older, he starts to feel like a more natural four than a three anyways. Um, and Rashawn Holmes shouldn't be going anywhere. I don't see how Marvin Bagley in a merit-based um, distribution of minutes could find a starting role over either Holmes or Barnes this year, next year, maybe, you know, a couple of years after that too. And I don't think he'd be happy with that role. I don't think um, his team would be happy with that role. So I, I don't know what Marvin Bagley's future holds, but if he's healthy at the end of the year and, you know, and I, I mean, I think sometimes, and I'm certainly part of this camp that is maybe too hard on Marvin Bagley um, in, in saying things that I don't know, I can't verify are true, just stuff that I think or speculate. I think that if the Kings are playing well, and Marvin Bagley is healthy with a couple weeks to go. I don't think he'll have any problem coming off the bench and helping this team push the rest of the way. I have no reason to think he's going to stomp his feet and say, Hey, I got to start. If the Kings are, you know, playing well with this lineup and they're making a run at this thing, I think adding Marvin Bagley to the mix with a couple weeks left as a piece off the bench. Um, I don't think there'd be any, any real issue there anyway. So I, I'm not too worried about it. You, uh, you, you brought up Rashawn Holmes, and I want to I touch on this point, too, only because this is our first podcast since the deadline. A lot of our discussion going into the trade deadline was that a big move uh, needed to be made in order to precipitate being able to sign Rashawn Holmes to a contract that we feel he's worthy with in the offseason. Now, that move didn't get made. Some of us uh, were got, went from about a five on the ANSI scale to about a, a seven in terms of full-on nervous about it especially with reports saying that Rashawn Holmes could ask for as much as $20 million in the offseason uh, for any team that's looking for his services. Um, Monty McNair um, subsequently has come out, and he, he is alive and well. He speaks on the radio. He has he's held a press conference <laughs> even in which he's, he's spoken actual <laughs> words to the public. And he mentioned that uh, though, though we on Twitter and though we at the Kings Herald, not necessarily specifically mentioning us, but though we are nervous, there is still room – to make a trade, uh, that there are still ways to to be able to ensure that Rashawn Holmes uh, stays with the Kings prior to being able to sign him. Um, is there any, uh, Jerry, is there any sort of nerves from you after Monty McNair came out and said, I've got time, I'm, I'm going to be able to make a move. Uh, you mentioned earlier the trading of DeLon and, and for Terrence Davis um, and possibly maybe setting up a Buddy Heel trade in the offseason. 
how nervous are you, Jerry, on a scale of one to 10 about uh, keeping Rashawn Holmes in the offseason? Not as bad as I was. You know, I was probably seven and a half. So I was, <laughs> I was because I don't see how you get better by losing him. I mean, you know, I know fans are, have got to, well, you can't pay him this or that as if you can go out and get Joel Embiid if you lose him. I mean, it's, it's like, a, come on here, guys. Uh, or draft a center that's capable of actually playing right away. It's uh, so those, those, that's what scares me. But uh, I, I did think that, uh, you know, and I, I kind of think that that's what Monty did. Part of his thinking was with getting those two guys that, that if they're as good as he thought they were and, and peers they are, or <laughs> that that gives him a lot of mobility going forward with, with another trade and to save, save some, get money back type thing and then, uh, and be able to keep Rashawn. Now, you know, now just what that, what that would take, uh, you know, I don't know, but I, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be a lot more than eight or $9 million. I can tell you that. I think, it, I think that uh, he's opened up a lot of eyes around the league, especially in today's game, the way it's played, you know, where, where it's really uh, like he's probably the best center in the league, as I've said, at guarding the wings, getting out and, and playing guys on the wing. Most centers can't do that. Uh, he can. And, uh, and that's pretty darn valuable. And he's actually blocking shots up. He's undersized, sure. Uh, but, I mean, the, the idea that, boy, you get rid of Rashawn Holmes and don't worry, we can pick up Miles Turner. Well, first of all, you probably can't. And number two is he, Miles Turner really isn't as good as Rashawn right now. And he hasn't been <laughs> for, for some time. He's good, but he's not the, he isn't that efficient other than blocking shots, the one least valuable product there is. Uh, so, so anyway, I, I, I was, was nervous, but I, I really, I, I think Monty, uh, giving credit. I mean, I think he, he gets it, you know, he, he, he's watched the Rashawn play, uh, you know, he's not living in a vacuum and, uh, you know, it's like, it's like anything, you know, uh, when you're, if you're not going to have somebody, you better have somebody better. You know, I always learned that the hard way when Kings for years would, you know, didn't want to pay money and say, well, we can't pay Otis Thorpe. So, well, that's, I say, yeah, that's wonderful. Now who plays power forward, you know, uh, extra cash coming back really does not rebound well. <laughs> and, and, and so, so, so there's that. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm better with it. I'm better with it. I think there's, I think there's going to be some real oper better opportunities uh, to make a, a, a bigger deal, which has to, you know, honestly has to be made in the off season. The draft isn't going to solve all your problems. Sure. Especially not for where the Kings are picking. If, yeah. if the Kings were uh, a top three, then okay, maybe you could go, you yeah. just, you place a lot of your hopes on a young center from USC and, and well, not yeah. ready, but yeah, but, not ready. He's not yeah. ready. He will. I mean, I think he's terrific, but, but to me, unless you get one, yes, unless you get number one, I don't think you, you'd see much of a, a jump no. in your, in your ratings or standings. Uh, uh, and, and the reason, part of the reason, besides I think Kate Cunningham is the best player, but he fits, he fits with yeah. what the Kings are doing. I mean, you just plug him in and you got another guy who can make plays and guard maybe bigger players, small forwards and, and sure. you go on down the road now with, with some of the other guys is like, yeah, they, there's no doubt that given time, they can be yeah. terrific. Uh, but time is short <laughs> supply in yes. Kingsland. 
especially with a point guard that's drawing a max contract you can't wait five or six years for your young big guy to develop into something you gotta kind of gotta go now yeah you know or even the guy you know uh Suggs at Gonzaga I love uh his game but you know I mean and he's a terrific player is he going to step in and and be Chris Paul day one I, I, I don't know about that I mean it might not be too long. I mean, he's really good, but, yeah. but what does he do for the Kings? Well, he'd make them, he'd help them, sure. but he'd help them because he's really good. But yeah. <laughs> what's your, what's your, what's your, you know, I mean, I'm greedy. I, I want somebody that comes in to, you know, like say if you're getting a high pick or something, that's going to make you 10, 15 games better. And, sure. and I, I don't see that. Absolutely. Tony, let's. Uh, I'm going to ask you the $100 million question, and then we'll ask it for Jerry, too. Uh-oh. Only because I want to hear the fan side of this, and then I want to hear the general manager just say, you idiot. Okay. You, you dummy. I'll set you up, so, Jerry. You can call me an idiot in about <laughs> 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 So, So uh, this is this was going back to Rashawn Holmes. How much how much do you pay Rashawn Holmes in the offseason? How much does Rashawn Holmes get in the offseason? I think those are two different questions, but I want to hear your opinion on both of them. All right. I'm going to have the same answer for this, meaning um, I'm going to predict what I think he's worth, what I would pay him, and also what I think he's going to get paid. And that is um, about uh, four years, 48 million. That's about 12 million, million per. I don't believe the Kings can give him 12 million in year one. They're going to have to start closer to 10 and a half, 11. And then, you know, if you scale it, I think it's a 15% scale every season. You can get pretty close to four over 48, but that's sort of been my target range for a while with Rashawn Holmes. I think he's worth it. I think that's sort of his market. I'm not sure there's a team that's going to uh, blow the Kings out of the water with that. That's a pretty competitive offer, in my opinion. Um, but I'm, I'm ready for Jerry to call me an idiot on that. Well, there, there's, no, there's absolutely no question that both you and Will are idiots, but uh, <laughs> the, 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 the sad truth is you're right more than I am. So, uh, <laughs> so, so that, puts us, that puts us in the same group. But yeah, I can't disagree uh, much with that. I, I had, I probably in my mind think he can get more than that, uh, whether with the King, with another team, you know, I think more in the uh, 15 million a year category, probably, you know, three years, 45 million with, uh, you know, with maybe a fourth year partially guaranteed, something like that. I could see several teams uh, in that bracket being interested in that. And, and you know, in, in my mind, if the Kings can get close to that, and which I think you were, I mean, if the Kings can just get pretty close to that, I think that'll do it because I think, I really do think there might be a hometown discount in there. Uh, but it needs to be reasonably close. Sure. Jerry, how much is too much for Rashawn Holmes in this day and age? Well, I definitely wouldn't give him a, a Davis Bertans uh, contract, uh, you know, the <laughs> yeah. four years. Of, That's the new line. <laughs> yeah. Four years, 80 million. But, uh, you know, I mean, just when you realize how hard it would be to replace him and just as a player and, and as a known product, locker room guy, team guy, high proficiency guy. Yeah. He's not ideal. You would prefer to have Joel Embiid or, or you know, one of the elite centers in the league, but, but uh, you you don't have that and you're not likely to get that any other way. So, so you, you, you need to be ready to overpay. I always said the thing about free agency, uh, especially with small market teams, uh, but, but everybody really uh, the key to free agency is keeping your own. If you want to keep them. And I still say that losing bogey was a mistake. And looking, watching bogey play for the Hawks lately, boy, 
guys playing terrific. <laughs> and, but uh, but I, I, I so on that basis, if if you you know, I know fans said, well, I wouldn't pay him more than thirteen million. Well, uh, would you be really offended if you had to pay him two million more than that so he didn't leave? Uh, I I certainly would. And so, you know, because you know he's a really good player. And then, you know, doesn't mean probably at that contract. And I've always said the most important thing about contracts is sign them, sign a contract you feel you could trade. You know, in other words, what you don't want is a contract that uh, you can't trade without taking bad contract back. And I mean, that may be the situation with Buddy a little bit. Uh, yeah. Not so with probably not less, much less so with Harrison. So, so I think that's always the key. And so I'd keep that in mind, but I, I do think you could overpay uh, Rashawn a little bit in today's game and not feel too bad or, or at too much risk as far as if you felt the need to trade it later, because you could get somebody better that, that you always want to do uh, if you could uh, probably not going to happen in my lifetime, but, uh, uh, but anyway, so, so I, I, I that's all I'd say, you know, just be ready to say, okay, we, we know what we think a fair value is. If we have to go a little bit more than that, uh, we'll do that. Now, if it's somebody comes in and starts him at 20 some million a year and goes way out, I think you, you might have to be say, you know, that, that is something we probably just can't do. How much pressure do you think is on um, Monty McNair? How much do you think, especially with the Rashawn Holmes situation, do you feel like he he hasn't quite made a deal to to ensure that the Kings have enough money to sign him outside of going to his locker room and asking him and saying him agreeing verbally to a deal already? But how how much pressure do you think he feels having to go into the offseason and thread that needle of get rid of a, a big enough contract in order to have some wiggle room in those discussions with Rashawn Holmes? I think, it, uh, you know, I don't think it keeps him up at night. I, I think he probably feels pretty confident there's a couple of ways he could go to to get enough money. And, you know, and I think he thinks probably has some idea of what he's willing to do and make and probably the league because agents are agents. And you're not that they, you know, you take their what they tell you and you know it's a lie and then you scale it back and you've got a pretty good figure. <laughs> but uh, so, so I, yeah, I think he's, you know, I, I really do. I think money really after just more thought, I, I just think that Davis and, and, and right deals were really just in hope that it would work out to really give him a lot of flexibility going forward at a position, let's say to, to open things up. And, and so, so I, I, and I think it looks like that that's the way it could play out. So if it does, uh, I think he'll be in a good spot to keep Rashawn. And I think he'll be able to make a deal. It may not be, and this is what, fans might be a little offended okay to move now you you may need to move a bigger contract in order to keep a player and you but you may not get as much back but that's okay it, it's 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 another way of keep keeping assets uh that you have and, and the key assets that you have tony i'm gonna go to you first on this one um it comes the off season which do you prefer moving buddy healed for a somewhat negative asset in order to to restore that space or moving Harrison Barnes, hoping Marvin Bagley can fill that role the next season and 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 using that money to sign Rashawn Holmes. That's tough. I, I don't think um, I think trading Barnes to sign Holmes is sort of uh, counterproductive. Like, I, I think 
if you want Holmes, you want Barnes too, don't you? Like that, that's what makes your team better. If you're going to, you know, you have a replacement for Buddy on the roster already in Tyrese Halliburton, or you, I mean, my preference, honestly, would be to keep them both and keep Holmes. And that would require you to move someone like Marvin Bagley or hope he signs to something in, in, a, in a range you can afford right now. But I am, I'm significantly less interested in keeping Holmes if it is um, at the expense of another player that also helps them win. Because I think, you know, it, we're, we're still trying to determine what Monty McNair's plan is, but if the idea is to build off what he already has, I think that, uh, and we can, we know this based on the fact that he didn't trade Harrison Barnes. I think he views Harrison Barnes as part of the solution. And if Holmes is also part of the solution, I, I don't see why you would trade one to keep the other. Whereas Buddy Heel just seems a, a lot uh, easier to replace, but like I said, I'm not, I'm not super interested in trading Buddy at negative value either because I think he is uh, – he's turned the season around a little bit. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's shot the ball better from three over the second half of the season than he did at the beginning when he was slumping really hard. I think the move to the three has also helped him uh, find a better spot in the, in the shot hierarchy in the starting lineup a little bit where he's not handling – you know, Halliburton's taking that handling duties, and he's really just a shooter right now, which is kind of what you want. So – uh, my preference would be to move somebody that is that is not important to what they're doing right now, which unfortunately is someone like Marvin Bagley to keep Holmes versus either one of those two guys. Jerry, now what do you think about this? Where you come in on this debate? I only say this because if you get rid of Buddy, you need a small forward. Buddy is playing our small forward position right now. If you get rid of Barnes, you kind of have a replacement there. You have a replacement for Buddy and Barnes at the small forward, or you have a replacement, quote unquote with Barnes in, in Marvin Bagley, either way, you're going to have to kind of patch, patch a hole somewhere in order to, to do this. Is this something where you feel like you could trade Marvin Bagley for enough or, or for, uh, for very little in the terms of opening up that cap space, or is it, is it either or for Buddy or Harrison? Well, I think in my mind, I I would tend to say, I, I want to keep Harrison, uh, you know, I mean, I think Buddy is more expendable now. Here again, you don't want to give him away, uh, or I trade, you know, or Marvin. I think both of those are are the more likely trade suspects. I think as far as building your team, uh, you may, depending on what you can get, of course. I mean, you're you're probably never going to get what you think you should, but if it uh, allows you to keep your four and your five in place, and as you said, you okay, you might be a little thin at, at the three. But that may, but that may be part of the deal as well with either either or of those guys. Plus, uh, last time I checked, you will get a draft choice, and there's a good chance that a wing, a wing will be the most available positions to draft. So, so I, I and and then I think on the bigger point, I, I guess I would always do just kind of think this way. It's like, who's the best player sure. that you? And, and to my mind, that's Harrison Barnes. Mm. And, and I'd rather keep my best player uh, of, the, you know, in other words, you're always going to have a hole, whoever you lose to, to some degree in which, sure. uh, but if you keep the best player, then maybe the, the hole is a little smaller hole. <laughs> sure, sure. My, my curiosity is peaked in the sense that who gets you the better deal as well. I know we talked about buddy, maybe having to, you have to bring back negative assets in order to get them. And I get nervous about trading for trading, trading buddy out and needing to take on a big contract back to get him or to get to, to get rid of him where in yeah. terms of Harrison Barnes, you could patch the hole the other way. He is the better player. He's on a better contract. 
and you might be able to get assets, positive assets back in the sense that the holes are, are less prevalent because of what you get back in return. And so I, I never quite know which one to, to, to roll with where, where Buddy is both the more tradable person, but that would, might require you to either give up a lot in terms of what you're, and, and what you're getting back. And so I, I see both sides of it. I just get curious on, on where each of yeah. your minds are. Well, at. well, one last point I'd make, and I, and, I, and, I, and I don't disagree with what you said at all. I mean, mm -hmm. I understand. I mean, you probably can make a little better deal for Harrison, but it would seem to me like by, say, doing it the other way, what, you, what you're doing is keeping your four best players. Sure. Sure. And, and, and in my mind, that's, that's always a pretty good strategy to keep your best players. And then, you know, hopefully uh, of the, maybe the fifth or sixth best player that you've lost, uh, maybe you can make up for him in a different way. Sure. And certainly as a, as a backup guard, let's say, I, I mean, I think in a sense, you've already replaced him. Sure. Uh, yeah. Now as a small forward that, you know, that you'd be mixing and matching that a little bit. But uh, so, but I, uh, anyway, that, I mean, it's, there's no sure things and there's, uh, but I, I guess I just look and I always like to look in simple terms, you know, as okay, who's the best players and have we, and if we can keep our four best, well, well, maybe that'll, you know, give us a chance to go forward and get better. Absolutely. Tony, let's, uh, let's roll over to the, uh, the Patreon question of the day, if you will. Sure. Um, every episode on this podcast, we ask one question from our patrons at king at uh, patreon.com slash kingsherald. And then once a month, any questions that were submitted that were not answered on this show, we record a full Q&A with the rest of those. All right. Um, the question this week comes from Jay Griffith. And he says, uh, first, he pumps you up a little bit, Jerry. He says, Jerry is the best, probably the greatest, greatest king ever. Of all his roles with the kings slash monarchs, which one was the most personally rewarding and which one was he most glad to move on from? <laughs> Boy, that was a great question. Uh, yeah. The uh, I'd have to say that both the head coaching and general manager roles was easiest to go away from because of just, uh, it, that is with the Kings uh, part because of quite honestly interference and never being able to do things like you want to do. And, and I just as a, a college coach and a, for years, you know, when you could do stuff how you wanted to do it, all that uh, and find out you get the highest level and there's a lot of things can be put on you that that interferes and, and so that was tough and uh, but, uh, you know, honestly, the monarch stint was really a lot of fun for me just on that basis alone. I mean, the players were so appreciative of at that time of being professionals, I think they've, you know, changed a little bit like, like the men have too, but, uh, uh, and then of course success, but just being able to do exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I mean, I was, if I wanted to make a trade, I made it. If I wanted to draft somebody, I drafted them. I, you know, I, it was a neat, neat deal because the owners really didn't give a flip, you know, and, and didn't know. <laughs> and the media didn't, you know, second guess everything because they didn't know. Or, or care enough like they should have. but anyway so so that and it but the, overall i've said many times the the most enjoyable was broadcasting you know i mean and and it was uh you know grant and i probably where's a couple of years there when i started it was a work in progress I, you know grant you know i would say I, I think i helped grant a little bit and i know he helped me a lot but uh he was uh 
you know, I would say he was like doing every game was like World War Three or something, you know, every basket. And and I said sometimes uh, Doug and and uh, Mark are like that. And, and I always say, you know, hey, really, the, when it's, ten, it's 12 to 10 in the first quarter and the guy makes a 10 foot jump shot, that ain't a big deal. They, they're they they're, they're getting paid millions to make that shot. Let's not, yeah. let's, let's, you know, if, if it's the final, you know, if it's a game winner, now we got something to talk about or big, big plays, big mm-hmm. shots. I mean, cause I think you, you know, the more you uh, go berserk, like we see so many on, on all the broadcasts now, but it, it takes away from the actual game sometimes. Uh, but broadcasting was a blast for me. And, uh, you know, cause uh, I mean, I wanted the Kings to win, but you know, usually time I drove home after a loss, I, I was okay wasn't like when I was coaching where I wanted to, when I was just a jerk around the house to people who didn't deserve a, a jerk in the house <laughs> and, and, uh, and I could uh, still sleep. So I don't know if I'd ask your question, but yeah, doing all those things. Uh, great experience though. I'll say that. I mean, you know, it's like life, you know, I mean, geez, I, every step of the way, whether it's being a junior college coach or teacher or small college, you, you know, you look back and think, boy, I should have done this better, different, uh, you know, the, the, the different interim stints. I mean, boy, how hard they were and miserable I was, you know, but yeah, do the best you can. And, and uh, yeah, it'll work out. You know, I'm always say with young boys, that's always been my advice. just like with players, uh, uh, just do the best job you can and try to have a career. Uh, if you do that, you might have a career. If you want to be a total dick and 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 not work hard and do your best, and don't be surprised if you don't. We're uh, we're gonna roll over to the uh, the 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 Reynolds wrap up. Jerry, what do you have for us today? Well, you know the uh, I'm thinking a little bit about the college game now. You know the championship game to be played tonight, uh, Gonzaga and Baylor. I think it's really uh, neat. I've really enjoyed watching both teams, but especially Gonzaga. But the, my point would be here. It's it's like I hear all these so-called talking heads on ESPN or wherever, and if, it's like if Gonzaga doesn't win, somehow it's a failure. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. This is a small Jesuit school in friggin' Spokane, Washington, that's been a national power for 20 years. Now, just exactly what, what uh, failure is going on here? You know, I mean, uh, during uh, Mark Few and even Monson and guys before, I mean, they've built this school, which is really no different than Santa Clara or Pepperdine or College of Pacific. And, and they're a national, they've been a national power for darn near 20 years. And, you know, basically a mid-major that's done that and, and competing for championships. And I think that's just remarkable. We've seen brief situations like with Butler, uh, it's a case in point, but I haven't had that level of success for as long or Creighton who's been really good, but not to that level. And I always point out, you know, just the, the, what people think that it's so, that it's so easy to be a mid major and compete at the highest level. It's like, well, yeah, when Larry Bird did it with Indiana state, which Indiana state is basically Sacramento state, by the way, and led them to the 33 and 0 to the NCAA championship people in Indiana. Oh, now Indi- oh, there'll be a power from now on. Well, they, they stopped being a power the day he left school <laughs> and, and uh, haven't really had, you know, I had a couple of winning seasons in 30 years. So uh, that, that, that's how that's worked out. But, but I mean, so just a shout out to Gonzaga. I hope they win nothing against Baylor, but I, I just hope Gonzaga wins just so that'll kind of 
shut the pundits up to like, boy, if you don't win it all unbeaten, you're, you're a failure. It's like, boy, wouldn't we all like to fail that, like that, have that kind of, that kind of failure unbeaten until the final game? Anyway. Well, for all of us here at, uh, at uh, the King's Herald, I'd like to thank you all for listening to another episode of the King's Herald Show. Um, if you could, like, rate, and subscribe us. We, we greatly appreciate it wherever you find your podcast. And uh, check out our Patreon as well. We have episodes, uh, special episodes just just for our Patreon page where Jerry answers any question that you could think of and me and Tony jump in when we can to, uh, to give him a hard time. So if you, uh, if you feel interested in anything like that, please feel free to check out our Patreon page. And once again, thanks for everyone here at uh, the King's Herald Show.